0: There is no light Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are going to be in Luke this morning with the finishing up the Christmas story yet it never really finishes, you know what I'm saying. But let's begin in the Scriptures. It says in Luke 2, 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And just a quick side note, it always says he went up from the town of Nazareth. The reason why it says that is anytime you went toward Jerusalem, you went up. Jerusalem is up, and Nazareth is, is right on the, I mean, uh, uh, Bethlehem is right on the hills of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. So you always went up, even though you're going south, we would say down, they always say up. So side note that you probably didn't care about, but just a technical thing. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn or in the homes. Caesar Augustus was ruling the known world at the time. Uh, basically uh, from England all the way up and around to India going down into uh, Asia and so forth. Uh, He, you know, the Roman Empire was huge. And Augustus, who had been, you know, born Caius Octavius, was a great nephew of Julius Caesar. He adopted him as as his son, and upon his death, he became Caius Julius Caesar Octavius. Octaviononus, I can't even say it. How would you like that for a name? Get four names in there, not three. But in 42 B.C., Julius Caesar was deified. And Octavian became known as son of the divine Julius. And by 31 B.C., Octavian took control of the Roman Empire. And in 27 B.C., he was given the title Augustus, savior of the world sent down from the gods. Augustus. He died in AD 14, and the Senate of Rome concluded that he was among the gods of the state. And since Julius was a god, Octavian was considered son of God. This is a coin that was struck in 18 BC, and it reminded Rome of Augustus' uh, divinity. And the reverse side of the coin, uh, which represented Caesar, because when Caesar died, a, a comic went through the sky, and, and they thought that was his soul going to heaven, what they considered heaven. And we still co- commemorate the, you know, these things in the, the these guys in the month of July and August. Uh, not that we have a big celebration, but you know, they're still a part of our life because they were named, or, or the two months were named after the, you know, this time. And I share all this with you because I want, you to, I want to give you the feel of how important it was. Uh, especially in time, you know, Augustus was at a time uh, he was known for not just being in charge, but he was thought of as a God and son of God. He was worshipped as a God. So we have Luke saying, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ's the lord so luke is writing you know treasonous words he's writing things that, that, that people get killed over the first century to the people throughout the roman empire they would understand the phrase here they would understand why you know uh, later they would start arresting christians because of words like these they were saying that their leader jesus was the savior and the son of god So in Luke 2, Augustus was demanding a census. And and I have to tell you that scholars have recently, you know, they love to pull all this stuff apart. Well, you know, the Bible certainly couldn't be correct. It could not be the Word of God because, you know, this guy, you know, there was only one census, and there was only this, and there was only that, like they lived at the time, like they know what happened during the time. You know, Quinarius wasn't governor at this time. So for the longest time, they couldn't answer this question, but recently they had a dig in Alexandria, which a friend of mine has uh, a girl that worked at the college and, and was part of my uh, team that, uh, as I worked at the college and stuff. She actually lives in Alexandria, Egypt right now. It's kind of cool. She's sending back all these pictures and all that. She's a teacher in a, in a Christian area, uh, which I'm sitting there going, she just moved over there this, this school year, and I'm thinking, you're crazy, but... She felt God was wanting her to, to go, and I said, well, bless you. We'll be praying for you. But it's kind of cool. Alexander is still there. But in a dig, they turned up two different truths as they, as they dug different things up, and uh, they found that Quinarius was the governor at two different times. So the scholars who said, well, Quinarius couldn't have been around at that time, da they're incorrect. They also know that there were several censuses that were taken during this time. And these records have been found near, uh, near Alexandria, and probably stored there when, when Mark Anthony you know, went over to be with Cleopatra and all that mess. So history, once again, proves to be on the biblical side. So Joseph and Mary are required to travel to the city of David in, be- you know, uh, city of David in Bethlehem from Nazareth because Joseph is from the house of David. And Caesar Augustus, the son of God, the savior of the world, the father to all of us, as the Roman Empire presented him, doesn't care about this poor little teenage girl. He doesn't care that that they have to travel during the time that this girl is nine months pregnant. There's no extension you can file on your tax returns. And basically, a census was basically a tax. They go and they count you and you had to pay a tax. This was a long, uncomfortable, risky journey, all to get to the town of Bethlehem. And because the Bible says Messiah would come from Bethlehem, God set this up to use the the non-biblical people, the people of the world, to do his will. Micah said in chapter 5, he says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel. "...whose origins are from old, from ancient times." other words, pre-earth. "...therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of her brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of of the name, and the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth." And there will be their peace. Every biblical scholar during the time knew that the child would come from Bethlehem. You know, this is saying something about God, something that we really need to know about God. Jesus came to reveal the nature of God, He didn't just come here to save save us, He wanted a relationship. He came to reveal the nature of who God is, how God thinks how God feels, how God talks, how God acts, how God reacts to us. So as we read these stories, we have to ask, what does this reveal about the nature of God to us? Well, first of all, the Bible shows us that God tells us when He's going to do something sometimes, and then He does it. He does it. He does it so that we know what is going to happen. God tells us that something's going to happen, and then he does it. He's telling us, I am true to my word. There's nothing worse than a parent not being true to the word. Right now, I have to be very careful as my son starts to challenge my wife and I. No, I don't want that. Or he tells mama, no. You want to get me riled up, tell mama No. Mama just kind of sits there and just looks at him. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. We don't talk like that to Mama. When I go, Brandon, if, and as soon as I say that word, my mind goes, what are you going to say, Alan? What are you going to say? Because if I say, well, if you don't do this or if you do this, then here's the result. I have to keep to that result, right? Right? There's nothing worse than a parent saying, well, if you do this, I'm going to count to 10, and, you know, they get up to like 400, and they're still counting. See, God is like that also. God says, I'm going to do this, and he follows through, because he's the perfect parent. Another thing that shows us is that God will use everything to do his will. God will use politics, no matter if you're you know here in America, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, God will use politics to do his will. He will allow certain things to happen because there's a bigger picture at stake. He will use circumstances all completely beyond our control. This trip for Joseph and Mary was not planned trip. You know, my wife and I, when she was pregnant, we started thinking, okay, we, you know, get out the calendar. Okay, what are we doing? When can we travel? When can we not travel? When can we do certain things? And we looked at it, and we said, okay, well, between this time and this time, we can't do anything, especially when our doctor said, well, She may make it to 32 weeks. We hope she makes it to 32 weeks. She ended up making it full term. But, but, you know, especially during that time, we said, we can't travel. Imagine Joseph and Mary. It's not like they're sitting there going, well, at nine months, we really want to take a trip down to, down to, to, you know, Jerusalem area. They weren't thinking of that. Yet God set it up. This hard, painful, confusing trip during the worst time of the year to travel. They just had a snowstorm in Israel. Now, there's some debate of, of when this happened. Uh, most scholars now really believe that, that the birth was, was more along the lines of Easter time than, than what we, you know, say is Christmas time. But still, the weather during this whole time can be very interesting in Israel. It's a lot like the Bay Area weather, yet sometimes they have snow down there. I mean, Jerusalem just came to a standstill this last week because of the snow. But this trip... Can you imagine them going, come on Lord, can't you miraculously if you really want to stay on there, can't you just like some pixie dust on us and we're there? You know, something to get us there quickly? Why do we need to go right now? Can't we have the baby first and then go down there? See, this is another important thing about God. He doesn't always explain himself. Oh how I wish he would. He often inconveniences us and messes up our lives in order, you know, from our view, okay, in order to do his will. He did this with Abraham. He did this with Joseph. I mean, Joseph was sold into slavery and then spent 13 years in jail. I don't think Joseph, in the middle of it, I mean, well, let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. Would we have been going, this is God's will, I'm in jail right now. This is God's will. He must have me here for a reason. No, we'd be pulling our hair out going, why am I here, Lord? All this just so he was in the right place at the right time to, to be able to save the Jews from the famine that the world was going through. We, we serve a God who took Moses out of the wilderness. Remember, Moses was a fugitive and God said, I'm going to take you out of the wilderness that has been, been your comfort zone and I'm going to put you right back in the place where, where you're a fugitive from. You're going back right into that uh, right into that town, right into that, and you're going to confront Pharaoh. This is the thing about God. He often uses or allows us to to experience inconveniences and sacrifice and, and pain in order to do his plan. I don't like this about God, do you? I don't like it when I'm inconvenienced. Man. I don't want to be confused, do you? You would think that if we give our life over to him he would at least give us you know the uh, you know give us rest from the confusion of this world. Yet God says no 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 no. There are some things you just don't need to know about. Probably cuz if I told you you'd run. So let me ask you a personal question. How was your year? How is your year ending? You know, we're, we're kind of in one of those interesting spots in the year where, where everybody, you know, everything's ending either it's really happy and we're ending on a great note or, or we're ending on a sad note or, or it's kind of a depressing time. And then all of a sudden we're in a new beginning time and we just forget about the old, you know. That's kind of the thought pattern. But how is your year? Has everything in your life been resolved completely so we can close out the year? Or is there some unanswered questions left? Were there any inconveniences, any pain this year? Would you entertain the thought that just maybe, just maybe you're in the center of God's will, even though you're going through whatever you're going through? That's a hard one. I don't like that idea. See, I like the idea of, the, uh, of God's will being happy, skippy day, blue bird on my shoulder, you know, la, 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 let me just be happy type of thing. You know, my son all the time, I can always get my son, I can just put on a pally face and he goes, be happy, daddy. You know, that's what, that's what we think Christianity, be happy. I've got, you know, got my cotton candy and I have my supersized everything, I mean, this is what I think is the will of God. Not one of those days that, that are difficult. I don't go, man, this must be the will of God. But in reality, our lives are more like Mary and Joseph. Mary's probably going into labor during this trip. Who knows how long she's been, you know, in pain. I can imagine the conversations. Joe, Joe, I don't, I don't know if we can make it. You, you just got to pull this donkey over. This is going to happen right now. This is her first baby. I mean, she's probably freaked out a little bit. The Scriptures go on and say that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And basically, there's a, there's a whole hospitality thing going on here in the, in the uh, Mid-East, especially amongst uh, Jews and, and Muslims also. If you go into their home and you knock on the door, I mean, it's very rude to say, no, we don't have room for you. But you've got to remember, everybody's traveling at this time. Everybody's coming in the town. Imagine, I mean, in one sense, this area is like the New York of the day, I mean, it's right outside of Jerusalem. So it would have been, you know, right outside of New York in a sense. I mean, there's a ton of people there. So for them to say, no, we don't have room, that was rude. So they went and found a place. And this picture here is a picture of a manger from that period of time. We always think of the wooden manger with the hay sticking out. And really, they used a lot of stone. Because there's not enough wood over there to, to sacrifice it for a horse feeding trough or a cow feeding trough. But I bet you after she had the baby, and they're still sitting there looking at this baby boy, they're thinking, this is a very different Messiah than what everybody was looking for. This is very different from what the world and, and especially the Jews were looking for when they thought of God coming. What is interesting is that if Jesus came to reveal the Father, what's He revealing in the manger scene? How about God is rich, but He chooses to be poor. God is the King of kings, yet He chooses to come to us in a very humble way. I mean, there's nothing more needy than a newborn baby. I can tell you. You know, right now it's the fight at home of Brandon. No, you can feed yourself. You don't need mama to feed you. You don't need daddy to feed you. You can do it. But a little baby, it's not like you can, you know, a three day old baby, and it's not sitting there going, well, pick up the spoon and feed yourself. I mean, how ludicrous would that be? He's born in a barn. What does that tell us about God? He's not able to make better arrangements? No, this is exactly what he planned. Why did he plan it this way? Because he needed to get really small to relate to us. Because God is so big, God is so powerful, it's hard for us to understand him and to relate to him. So he goes, you know what? I'll come as one of you, and that way you can relate to me. That way you can see who I truly am. Because the picture over the centuries of, of who God is has been so twisted and distorted, they thought the, that God was going to come in on this big white horse all of a sudden and just save them from Rome. And God's sitting there going, i got a bigger thing. My bar sits so much higher. I'm here to save you, not the government. He limited himself so, he could, uh, so we could approach him. Scriptures go on and say, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. These are the same type of fields that Ruth and Boaz would have been in. This is the exact same spot that David would have been out there watching over the sheep. Shepherds were considered low man on the totem pole. Teenagers were, were often the shepherds. The jobs that no one else wanted, and Dad made you go do it because you were the youngest of the, of the, of the group. This is, in a sense, the training field. If you can handle this, you can handle a lot of other things. So the shepherds coming to see Jesus, some of these shepherds would have been teenagers. What does this tell us about God? Hmm. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You bet they were. You can imagine this. The power of God displayed on this hillside. And this is another thing about God. Here he's coming in a a very humble way, a very humble way, and and here he's showing his power also on the hillside. Often God's best work frightens those around him. We say, oh Lord, work in my life. And then he does, and it scares us half to death, because it didn't quite go the way we had planned it out, right? And God's sitting there going, but I, I, I changed those plans. You didn't know? And all of a sudden we feel like we're totally out of control. Verse 10, it says... But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The word great here is the word karos, meaning meaning joy, meaning mega joy, big joy. As my son would say, you know, big, 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 and he keeps going on and on. You're just like, okay, I get it. You're calling me fat. I mean, um, you know, big, mega joy to all the people. Not just the rich people, not just the smart people, not just the Jews, to all people. Today in the town of David, uh, an Augustus, and Augustus is the word, has been born to you. A God has been born to you, a Savior. He is Christ the Lord, and He came to you. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. So go and look for a baby in a feeding trough, he's saying. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This is called the also. We In other words, we adore you. We magnify you so others can see you. We make you bigger. We bring you into focus so the shepherds can see your glory. You know, right now, I'm teaching my son how to use the camera, and he loves it. Put it on the tripod. I'm not talking about just a little point-and-shoot camera. He wants the big camera, of course, right? Anytime I get out the big camera, he's wanting it. So we're teaching him how to leave it on the tripod. He takes pretty good pictures. He took, my wife and I, our 20, uh, 20-year anniversary was yesterday. He took our 20-year anniversary picture. It turned out great, but it's focus. Now, luckily, the camera has autofocus. Other pictures wouldn't have been so great. But that's what God does. God is bringing himself into focus for us so that we can see him, so we can understand him and peace and goodwill to men. What they're celebrating is the the relationship between God and man because the Garden of Eden has has been breached again and the second Adam, in other words, Christ has come and he creates a bridge so that chasm that was created by sin was, was, was you know, was all of a sudden a bridge is there so we can actually reach God now, and the devil cannot do anything about that. Praise the Lord. So the angels are celebrating the fact that there's now going to be peace and goodwill toward men, because what was toward men? Destruction. Hell because our sin wouldn't allow us into the presence of God. But now the Savior has been brought, the, the, you know, this peace and goodwill has been brought toward men now. And it says here in verse 15, "...when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has, has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger." I wonder how many people along the way they asked the question, Have you seen the baby in the manger? We're looking for a baby in the manger, in the horse trough, one that was born tonight. Have you seen him? And then the, I'm sure there was a whole group that was gathered. You know, we, we think, Oh, the shepherds came. You know, we have our manger scene idea. I'm sure there was a ton of people and Mary sitting there going, They're going to wake up the baby. Joe, what's going on? Go out there. Tell them to go away. But instead, they came to see God. So they hurried off and found uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They weren't scared. They weren't frightened. They were amazed. This reveals something else about God. God allows the shepherds to participate in Jesus' story. And that's the great thing, because if you allow God, you can participate in God's story. This is absolutely amazing. You can participate in God's will on this earth in your lifetime if you allow it. Are you willing? See, because this story is not complete, The story is not over, You can be a part of the story if you're willing. God loves to involve everyday people in His best work. Hmm. Taking steps of faith. Walking in faith. Believing that Jesus came for you. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God For all the things that they had heard and seen. Which were just as they had been told. So if Jesus came to reveal the Father, what do we know about the Father? In the way that Jesus came, we know so much. But what are we willing to do with that? What are we willing to do with the Christmas story? Are we willing to say Merry Christmas and that's it? Are we willing to involve ourselves in the life of God and what God wants out of our life here on earth? You know, Gallup polling says that 85% of people in America believe this story. That Christmas is about the Son of God coming and that it's about the birth of Christ. Well, what's interesting is, I don't think 85% of Americans are doing anything with that knowledge. You see what I'm saying? Hoopla! Yay! Christmas! We all believe, yet they don't do anything with it. It's sad. According to Gallup they believe it. But according to the Bible they do not. Because the Bible says that you know belief is receiving it and not just knowing about it in our heads but living it out in our heart, and our hands, and our actions, in our words, and our attitudes. To believe is to receive. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, by the way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send a son into the world to destroy the world, but that the world through him might be saved." That was God's intention. That's why Jesus came. One of the reasons why we give Christmas gifts is to remind us that that the wise men brought gifts, but also that Jesus was a gift to us that we have to take, we have to open up, and we have to use. That God wrapped him up and, you know, was given to us a salvation. And all we have to do is open the gift but you know, I I just really don't feel like opening that gift. I think I'll leave it under the tree. You know, we're we're playing the game with Brandon right now. Okay, we got a few gifts for him, and uh, probably too many. Get a lot of small things. I mean, he's three; doesn't need too much more. But it's like, when do you put them under the tree? What's that? What's that? You know, a friend of ours gave uh, Brandon a gift, and it's in a it's in a uh, Mater bags, you know what I'm talking about. Cars, Mater, and he's been wanting to open it. Oh man, does he want to open that? Keeps dragging it out. Mama, what's this? What? That's your Christmas gift. My present? Can I open it? No, not yet. Oh, <laughs> I mean, tears coming out of his eyes. Well, you have to wait. So finally, sorry for the person who gave it to us. We finally gave in and let him open it last night. He loves it. But, man, he just won't let it go. So we're like, okay, no more gifts under the tree. Would you leave a gift under the tree? Oh, whose is that? Oh, that's Kim's gift. Kim doesn't want it. Oh, that's Donna's gift. Donna doesn't want it. Oh, that's Sharon's gift. Sharon doesn't want it. Oh, that's Leroy's gift. Just leave it there. He doesn't want it. No, we would all go, oh, that, that, that's my gift? Let me have it. Let me open it. Yet for some reason the world goes, the gift of God, oh, I don't want that. Savior, I don't want that. Salvation, I don't want that. Oh, I know the story. I know what it's about, but I don't want that. How sad is that? Wouldn't it be great if all the, tree, you know, the gifts under the tree were for us? I mean, this gift is is the ultimate gift, and we have to open it to be able to use it. We have to begin to use our salvation. And the enemy comes, and the enemy tries to deceive us, and we have to go back and and look at the gift and say, yep, I received that. And it doesn't say "batteries not included. Assembly required. It's ready to go out of the box. So we can rebuff the enemy when he comes to us and says, that's really not a gift, that's a curse. And we go, no. Let me tell you what this gift did for me. It freed me. It released me in this life to take the burdens that I have and to give them over to God so I don't have to carry around those burdens. Because if I had to carry around those burdens, I would be crushed under their weight. But I got the gift of God. Don't keep this gift quiet. Especially the, you know, during this time of the year, we want to keep the gift quiet. No, no, no. We want to keep it out there, right? But what happens in a month? Well, everything's new. We put the old away. We stop talking about Christ. We stop talking about Christmas. No, we need to talk about Him year-round. We need to shine our light year around. Don't allow the world to tell you to hide your belief. I mean, this last week we, we saw, it uh, for, for you guys uh, uh, that watched Duck Dynasty and all that stuff, and the, the father of, of the big family made some comments, and how he said it was inartful, believe me. I went and read the, uh, if you read the larger quote of what he was said, how he said it was very kind of, uh, you're sitting there going, oh, dude, man, I wish you would have said that a little differently. So they all jumped on that. Oh, hate speech. When reality, what he was saying was in the Bible. I'm sorry, do you believe the Bible or not? Well, if you want to label me hate speech because I believe what's called uh, you know, homosexuality is a sin or other things, because he mentioned a whole bunch of things, not just that thing. Things are sin, You know, being a drunkard and going out there and sleeping around all this. These are sins. If I want to believe that, then all of a sudden I'm, it's hate speech? The world tries to tell us what you believe is wrong. And we have to stand up and say, no, what I believe is in a Savior that's come to save you. Let me tell you why I believe these things are sin. Let me tell you what the Word of God says. And we've got to do it in a way that doesn't necessarily offend you know, a chunk of people. But at the same time, God is offensive. God is offensive to this world. God is offensive to political parties no matter which side you're on. God is offensive because he comes up against this world that says everything is okay. Let's all be merry. We have to live out our lives like we believe it. And I'm not going to apologize for believing in the Bible. And we need to believe in that Bible year round, not just at Christmas. Now, again, let's not offend each other. But let's not go, okay, you're right. I can't believe what I believe, or I can't say what I believe. You're right. Because then we become wimpy Christians in this world that needs to see the light. We become darkness instead of light in this world. The Savior was born. So we can be light in this world. That's what's amazing about the story. It was God coming to reveal himself to us. And if we allow that to happen on a daily basis, our lives would be so much better. And I don't mean, oh, everything will come together and you know, all your finances will instantly be great and, and all your relationships will instantly be great and everything will just work out to a T. No, I'm saying that our joy would rest in who God is and not on the circumstances that we live in. That's the key to life, joy. And that joy began with Him coming to this earth. God's plan in action. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your plan. We thank you so much that you were willing to come down here on this earth. We pray that in our life that we represent that well, that we know we're going to mess up. We know we're going to really just go the wrong direction sometimes, but you're willing to take us back. You're willing for us to come and say, I'm sorry. You're willing to, to put your arm around us and say, son, daughter, I love you. Let me show you the better way for your life. I pray that we don't leave the gift under the tree. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may His grace and His mercy and His blessings rest on you. Not only during this season, but in the spring and the summer and the fall and year round. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.